0: I want to just invite you this morning? Would you take the holy text of Scripture on your lap, and would you turn to Matthew chapter sixteen this morning? Matthew sixteen. So today we're going to wrap up our series, series on church essentials. If you could go ahead and start that, that'd be great. We're going to wrap up this series with this passage. Uh, many of you are familiar with this passage in Scripture one of my favorite passages in scriptures when thinking of promises, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But we've talked so far of these essentials that bring us together, not just that bring us together, but that keep us together. When we're talking about essentials, last month we introduced this series with this concept of what is an essential? Essential is something you need to survive. And this is exactly what we need to survive As a church in this culture, what do we need to survive? And here's what we need to survive. We need God's Word to be our clear foundation. We've studied about that. We need God's glory to be our exclusive motivation. This is the north star of everything we do, is God's glory. It is not about you. It is not about me and any kind of perceived glory that we think we have it is all about him it is all about his glory Paul says God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so another essential is God's plan of rescue is our only hope this salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone this is what brings us together and this is what keeps us together Last week, we looked at God's community must function with biblical purpose. God's church, that is us. We must function with biblical purpose. Last week, we looked at our purpose, and this is just a brief review, but our purpose is to proclaim the truth as a pillar and ground of the truth. The word of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, all referred to as truth in the New Testament, we hold those high unashamedly we hold those high. Not only that, but worship. What do we do? What is our purpose? Is worship not just when the band starts, not just when the voices open and songs come out. Worship starts from the time you come on to the campus to the time you leave. Everything we do. In fact, corporate worship is an overflow of an individual worship that should happen all week long. Every day we worship together, or individually, and when we come together, it is an overflow of what God's been doing in our hearts all week long. It's a holistic worship. Everything we do is worship. So last week we talked about holding the truth high, worshiping in everything we do, and then our, in, in obedience to God, our purpose is to see discipleship happen at Crosspoint Community Church. Discipleship is pursuing Jesus and bringing someone with me. <laughs> I'm going to go, that Jesus is beautiful, and I'm following him. He saved my soul, and he is growing me. Would you come with me? That is discipleship. So we've been talking about these essentials, but today we're going to talk about kind of this capstone promise that I love to end this series with. This promise found in Matthew 16. But what do you think of when you think of the word promise? I mean, within a human context, and you can advance that slide one, that'd be great. A guarantee, a vow, a covenant, an agreement. I mean, something on a human level that we hope will endure, but so often on a human level only, promises fade and are rarely fulfilled as they were promised. You know what I'm talking about. So often we naturally think of promises as what? As broken promises. I wanted to put one up, a, a, a clip up there of just a neat, a neat visual of just this word promise, broken in half, because that's how we often think of promises on a human level. Promises are made and so often promises are broken. What are we talking about? From dad or mom to child. I mean, even, maybe even today. How many times parents... Have you heard this, but dad, you said, fill in the blank. Teens, how many of you times have you come to your parents and said, but dad, you told me, Ugh, you're right, I did. Promises is made, promise is broken. It's just a way of life on a human level. Maybe from a husband to a wife, you told me you'd go on a date night. Why did you bring home a stack of work? Maybe from boyfriend to girlfriend, maybe from friend to friend, maybe from sibling to sibling. Maybe from neighbor to neighbor, maybe, here's a good one, maybe from a politician to a community. (laughs) Okay, that could kind of be that highlight there, all right. From one country to another country, we agree to these terms, and now they don't really happen. So often the fact is this, that on a human level, promises made are not always promises kept. However, brothers and sisters in Jesus, you're holding on your lap a book where it is a dynamic theme that promises made in the book you hold on your lap right now are always kept. Every single word of promise that God gives us in that holy word, his holy word, will come together exactly as he said it would. I love what Joshua said. He's about to pass on the, off the scene. And he's sharing words just like Moses, his mentor, had shared. And Joshua's reassuring the leaders of Israel. And what does he say? Joshua 23, 14. And now I am going to go the way of all the earth. Okay, I'm dying. Joshua says, and you know. In your hearts and souls, all of you. In other words, you know it. As much as you might deny it, you know at the core of who you are. And what do you know? That not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Brothers and sisters, this is what we hold on to. That that book we hold on our laps right now, that we engage with every day, hopefully, whether it's in book form or device form, the word of God, what we read from the word, these promises, they will happen. In fact, Jesus Christ himself to his disciples, what does he say? For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This is Jesus Christ. Promises made are promises kept in the scriptures. In a skeptic culture that doubts God and falters in human promises, we as believers have the confident assurance that what? Our God will dynamically keep his word. Always, forever, exclamation point. This is the God we serve. He keeps his promises. And so, what do we find in the scriptures? Jesus, having gone through three years of ministry with these troubled dudes called disciples, (laughs) traveling all around with them, these guys that have been doubting him, Jesus, after three years of doing miracles, and they've seen Jesus do miracles, Jesus Christ Himself shares with them an amazing promise. What is this promise? It's found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. You could read along, follow along as I read. I'll read these. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, okay, here's our spokesman. Remember this guy who generally speaks first, thinks later. But here's, a, here's an evidence that maybe there's something different going on, and we'd see why. It's because it's revealed to him by the Father. Simon Peter replied You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in, that is in heaven, who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and here we have a dynamic promise to God's church, and here it is, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's so much to this discussion. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to kind of scratch the surface to the depth of this passage. But I want to close out this study on church essentials with a dynamic promise from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for his church. What's the story? Well, you find it in verses 13 and 14. 14. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, so in our minds we kind of think, well, that's kind of just a casual mention of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am?" Okay, so when is this? I just mentioned this a minute ago. When did this happen? This passage that you have there, when did it happen? Well, Jesus had already ministered for three years. You can kind of follow the flow of Jesus' ministry uh, from more of a, a, of a, a Jerusalem-area Judean ministry to more of a Galilean ministry, and now it's transitioned into a broader area. Jesus, very public in his ministry at different times, now has sort of capstoned that with feeding of 4,000 people, and now he's kind of drawing back with his disciples for about six months. What is he doing He's teaching them. He's teaching them more and more and more and more about who he is. Jesus brings his disciples, and now they're traveling 120 miles from Jerusalem up into this small place called Caesarea Philippi. I don't know if any of you have, I think several of you have been to Israel. Have any of you been up to Caesarea Philippi? All right. Very quickly, when you get up to Caesarea Philippi, you see that this is not necessarily a Jesus place. <laughs> All right? All of the things around you point that this is not a worship of Yahweh place. I mean, historically, Caesarea Philippi was consumed with a worship other than Yahweh. Even people that should be worshiping Yahweh, we're talking about his chosen people, Israel, Through Rehoboam, what happens? Well, if you remember the story, Caesarea Philippi, we find, uh, J- sorry, Jeroboam, not Rehoboam. I want to get that right. Jeroboam, what, what does he do? He goes and sets up a temple with a golden calf in it for false worship. This is to God's people up in a place called Dan. This is right next to Caesarea Philippi. At the headwaters of, of the Jordan River, at the base of Mount Hermon, you have a place where people would go to worship false gods. And it's not just in Israel. We're talking about Canaanites who worshipped Baal in this location. We're talking about Greeks who worshipped Pan. We're talking about Romans who set up something to worship the emperor. All of that happening here. And when you show up in this area, you find a place that's not about worship of Jesus. So Jesus comes there, knowing all of that was worshipped there are all human inventions of God, a God, but he is the living God. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who am I? What an amazing question. Seeing all these expressions of of idolatry around you, okay, you tell me who you say I am. And they said, some say John the Baptist, Actually, he says, who do they say I am? He says, some say John the Baptist, others says Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I, you know, in our scriptures, you don't have these pauses in there, but I can imagine a bit of a pause here. Jesus listening to his disciples, and all of a sudden he pauses maybe, I don't want to read into the text, but I can kind of see him pausing and just all of a sudden saying, that's nice, they all say this about me. Who do you say that I am? Basically, after traveling with me for these years, after observing all of these miracles that you've seen happen, all of these expressions of divinity, this is not just what some human could do. After hearing my teaching, after me walking through different things with you, now the question is this, okay, but who do you say I am? I think this is such an appropriate question, even for us today in this culture. Of all this idolatry that we see around us, worship of anything and everything, I think a key key question to say is, who do you say Jesus Christ is? You know what today is? The observances of these church essentials, baptism, the Lord's Supper, church membership affirmation, you know what it is? It's a group of people known as the body of Christ, unashamedly proclaiming that Jesus, we say that you are the Lord and Savior. that is the exact confession of Simon Peter what does Simon Peter say in verse 16 Simon Peter replied you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered him blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven so very quickly what do we have here we have Peter making a confession of Jesus and then following that we have Jesus making a confession of Peter so let's first think very quickly on Jesus or Peter's confession of Jesus. What is this confession? You are the Christ. And actually, as you look at the construction here, you could almost put an emphasis on the articles. What do I mean? The does. <laughs> you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. What does he say? You're the Christ. You're the promised Messiah, you're the anointed one. You're the one that Israel has been looking for. You're the one that your people that you created from Genesis 3, as we've talked about in his plan, have been looking for in all of human history. Jesus, you're the one. You're the Messiah. I don't know the depths of all of what Peter is saying. Sometimes, like I said, he speaks first, thinks later. I don't think he understood the full depths of what just came out of his mouth. But what just came out of his mouth was earth shattering. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. In other words, you are sent by the sovereign God who is actively working his redemptive plan. Basically what Peter is saying, and and you can kind of see this in the context here, out of all of this false God stuff going on around here, all of these dead idols represented in Caesarea Philippi, guess what, Jesus? You're the son of the living God. God. What's Jesus' response quickly? Blessed are you, Simon for Jonah, Simon the the son of Jonah, Jonas, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What's Jesus saying? (laughs) Right on, Peter. Peter, the human son of Jonah, I love this. Peter, the human son of Jonah, you have identified me as Christ, the the son of the living God. The living God proved this to you, and he proved that he is living by showing you that I am the Christ. He is the only one who could reveal this to you, Peter. Peter, God's at work in your life, Peter. He has blessed you by taking that spiritual blindfold off of your eyes in a place of darkness, Caesarea Philippi. God Almighty has taken the spiritual blindfold off your eyes, Peter, and now you clearly see that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has opened your eyes to the greatest truth in all of human history. Now, Christ makes a confession to Peter. I love this. So Peter made a confession about Christ. Now Christ makes a confession to Peter. What's the confession? I tell you, in other words, but I say or mark my words, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, I can guarantee you that we're not going to Dive deep enough in this passage to supply your needs right now in the next 10 minutes. There have been massive denominational breaks over these two verses, massive denominational buildings based on these two verses. So I simply want to acknowledge some of the confession of Jesus Christ here and realize we're going to talk more about this later, okay? Here we are in this passage. Jesus says to Peter, You are Peter, and then I will give you ministry. You are Peter, is the confession. Peter has just said to Jesus, you are the Christ. Now Christ looks at Peter and says, yeah, and you're Peter. We go back to John 1, to see that. But what's the significance to that? What's the significance of Jesus looking back at Peter and saying, "Yep, yeah, and you're Peter? Well, what does Peter mean? Peter means stone. Peter, and, and actually there's a lot of people that will look at this and say, you can actually possibly interpret it as small stone. You're, you're a small stone. I, I can't say that dyna- dy- dynamically, but I do think there's a way that this fits in the text here. you are Peter, you are cephas, you're Peter, the small stone, and don't you ever forget it <laughs> what what is he saying you're peter, you're the small stone you're yes, I will use you He says you are Peter, and I will give you ministry. I will give you and the emphasis is. In contrast to his human frailty, God will do something in his life. Christ saying, you're frail, but I'm going to do something in your life. You can't, but I can. It's not all about you, Peter, but it's all about me. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Oh boy, that's a fun one. We're not going to go into depth on that, and there's so many different views, but basic summary is this. Even though you are a small human stone, I will make you a massive part of the next stage of my redemptive plan. I'm going to use you, Peter. Even though you're small and insignificant and frail, that seems to be what Jesus is talking to him all the way through his earthly ministry. Peter, remember, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Right, Mike? Peter, it's all about me, but I'm still going to use you. By the way, did this happen? Yes. What about that Acts 2 passage in your scriptures? Peter standing up and 3,000 people coming to Jesus. What about Acts 10 when Peter expresses to Cornelius the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about the books in our Bible, 1st and 2nd Peter, that expose the great mercy and grace of God? God used this small stone Peter in a massive way for his glory. So here we are, the confessions, and we're going to keep moving. We'll wrap this up. For the church, the confessions of Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Peter to, now Jesus to Peter, yeah, and you're Peter, but I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to use you in ministry. Well, right in the middle of all of this discussion, these confessions, all of this talking of Jesus Christ being the son of the living God, we find one of the most profound promises ever and it's in relation to the church. What is the promise? If you would look with me back at verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is this enduring promise? This landmark promise? Here it is. On this rock I will build my church. What does that mean? Oh, there's a lot of different interpretations here. There's three basic ones that denominations will take. One of them is, you are Peter, and on you I will build my church. I mean, obviously, we know where that. What, what came from that. The, the church of Rome, the Catholic church, bases it on Rome. But I have a hard time seeing that interpretation as Jesus, through his whole ministry, has reminded Peter, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Why would he now say, you're not all that in a bag of chips, but I'm but now you are all that in a bag of chips. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's one interpretation. You, you can still work with that, though. And then the next one is this, another interpretation. Jesus would say, you, you are Peter, the small stone, but on this rock, and he kind of points to himself, I will build my church. That's another way of interpreting it, which, by the way, is very consistent with what Peter says in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 Peter 2. You're the small stone, I'm the big stone. I am the massive boulder. And that's the next word he uses there. A lot of interpreters will say, you are Peter the small stone, but on this massive boulder I will build my church. And here's the massive boulder, Peter, me. However, it doesn't make quite sense to me to say that sometimes because in the same passage, Jesus is also the builder. So here's another interpretation. Peter, you are the small stone but on this rock I will build my church. And what could this rock be? Well, what did he just say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think it makes perfectly good sense for Jesus saying, that confession you just made, that is what the church will be built on that I am Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter. Don't ever forget it. Peter's not all about you. It is about what you just said about me. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now we have the promise. And Peter, I will build my church. This will be my church, Peter. Peter, this will not be your church. This will be my church. <laughs> In my mind, I think of, you know, two little kids playing Mine. Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you're cool, but this is my church. I will build my church, Peter, which is ironic. Actually, it's very intentional in the scriptures because as you go through the New Testament, almost all of the references to the church is the church of God. Now, Jesus is saying this is my church. So what does that prove to you and to me? Jesus Christ is the son of God, fully God, fully man, in order that he might fully redeem. This is the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, this is my church. I will build my church. I, God in the flesh, will build my church. You know, I think we get more information from this from Peter himself, who kind of got it, I think. I think this was a dynamic statement to Peter. What does he say in 1 Peter 2? Would you just listen as I read this? Peter says this, verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, as you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone... Rejected but, by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What's happening here? Back to Matthew 16. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna build my church. I am the chief cornerstone, Peter. You're Peter, but on the confession that I am the chief cornerstone, I am the son of the living God, that is what the church is going to be built on. Now we find an advancement of this promise. He says in a very dynamic way this and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. (laughs) Wow! The gates of hell won't prevail against it. What's that talking about? The gates of hell in this Jewish way of thinking is another way for saying the place of the dead. The place where dead people go. And and what's Paul, or, or what's Jesus saying, Hades, the abode of the dead, the gates are the entrance into this death. This death isn't going to sidetrack my plan. This is prior to what in the life of Jesus Christ? His death, burial, and resurrection. What's Jesus saying? You know what? Satan's greatest tool in all of human history is death. Think about that. Satan's greatest tool, his greatest weapon is to take the life that God created and to bring death into the equation. And now what Jesus is saying is that death won't prevail. Death won't stop me, Peter. Death won't stop the church. And he's looking at a bunch of apostles. And guess what happened to these apostles? Death came into their lives. And I can imagine as some of them, even Peter himself, being crucified upside down. In my mind, I want to think that this passage would have gone in Peter's mind as he's being crucified upside down and thinking, my death's not going to stop Jesus' church. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the church of God will not be stopped by death. Why? Because of the glorious, victorious resurrection of our Savior. Why? Because Easter happened! resurrection day happened we gather on Sunday mornings not just because we like to well we do like to uh, but why it's because it's to remember the significance of resurrection day the first day of the week when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ powerfully rose from the dead and what does Jesus say I'm going to build my church and death ain't going to touch it death's not going to get in the way Death shall not prevail against it. Prevail is a word for be victorious over it. Death's not going to claim victory over the church. Which, by the way, brothers and sisters, what has happened in the last 2,000 years, death has hit every believer. But guess what? The church is still going. Guess what? We will gather with all kindred, tribe, people, and nation before the lamb, and we will sing his praises someday for all eternity. Why? Because he has redeemed us by his blood. We now have eternal hope in this resurrected Savior. Death shall not prevail against it. What's the key idea? As we close out the series on church essentials, it is this. Christ's church will endure. It'll make it. Christ's church will endure victorious. And so kind of the next phrase should be something like this. So we must serve with great confidence in him. What are we doing to promote the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ? His church will endure. So what are we doing to get on board? What are we doing to promote our glorious Savior Jesus Christ? So what? Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for those words. But how is this going to make any difference in my life this week? Can I pose two questions? One of them would be this. Have you acknowledged the supremacy of Christ in your life? Jesus is not simply looking for fire insurance confessions that add him to a lifestyle of self-consumed choices. That's not the intentions of Jesus. In fact, if you keep going in chapter 16, you find clearly, if you wanna follow me, take up your cross and follow me. That's Jesus' words. So the question is this you look at Jesus as your master, your Lord, your boss that transforms every aspect of a formerly self-consumed life? Have you come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you called on Him to save you, to be your master? And here's another question that would come right after that one for me is this. For those who have come to Jesus by faith, those who have poured your hearts into the, the church, do you have confidence in Christ to build his church? Where's your confidence? I'm going to tell you, if you haven't learned this yet, this guy standing in front of you, he's going to let you down. I, I promise you. Any one of the elders here, we will let you down. Any one of the leadership team here, any of the deacons, anyone serving here, guess what? We will let you down, but I know a Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will not let you down. My assurance to you is if we haven't already, we will let you down, guaranteed. The shine of leadership will tarnish. The excitement will fade. The determination will falter. But there is one who will never let you down. There is one who will shine forever. There is one who will rule And his rule will never fade. There is one whose promise will endure throughout all eternity. And he is the one who says, I will build my church. And death won't prevail against it. So God, we thank you for this promise. We thank you for the fact that we can come together today in great confidence of Jesus, our Lord. Thank you so much for redeeming our souls. We are sinners only saved by your grace. Let us never forget that. But as we come together, Father, I pray that we would realize that very clearly in the scriptures we're reminded that you will build your church and the gates of hell, Hades, death won't prevail against it. Let us hold on to that with all we have. So continuing the service, Father, as we As we continue in celebration of baptism, I pray, God, that you would continue to draw those souls here that need to come to you in faith, that you would continue to do that today. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, however would you like to pray this morning, Would would you consider your own life? Have you come to Jesus Christ in faith? Have you called on him to save you? If you have not, would today be that day you come to him in faith? This morning we're going to have expressions of baptism. This is public identification with Christ. If you've not come to Jesus, the beautiful Savior, would today be that day? Those of you who have come to Jesus... Would you take time right now to thank Christ for his promise that he will build his church? Would you take time to thank God, Christ, for his promise that it is an enduring promise, a promise that will not be broken? I will build my church and death will not prevail against it. Father, we thank you for the time we could have this morning remembering how amazing you are. Thank you for your promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let us hold on to that with all we have. pray that you bless the remainder of the service. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.